Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's an enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. You know, I think of the time when I was buying my first house and first of all the money that I paid for my first house and I guess everything is is relative but the money that I paid for my first house or that we paid for our first house is less than even if you do a euro conversion the amount that some people now have to save as a deposit that is just insane and and then and I didn't buy my first house in 1871. Do you know what I mean? Then just the more I watch television and and read papers and and look at various current affairs programs about it, the more I realise I would absolutely hate. I mean hate. I don't think I could handle trying to get into the housing market now as a young person trying to buy my first house. You wouldn't have a hope. You just wouldn't have a hope. And why? Because some foreigner can come in buy everything off the plans make an absolute shed load of money and then hightail it out of here with their profits having bumped up all the prices artificially through their actions and not as not as good tax paid we're going to tackle that in a little while and I want to hear what you're going through if you're trying to buy a house at the moment and you may have a very good job and your partner might have a very very good job But I know people are struggling. People are just... By the time you put away the money you need for the deposit, people are living on noodles. That's the absolute truth. And I want to talk to you about it if it's it's your experience. That and plenty more to come. But I got a, a video in my phone yesterday from a friend. And he sent me this video and I played it and I was going, oh my God. And... He just sent a text message after the video. He said, the city's gone, lad. The city is gone. It was a video of this incident on Magazine Road. 
about a quarter past four yesterday. There are videos all over the place. There are names being shared all over the gaff. Stop. I don't intend to share names. Nothing of the sort. But the video and the incident, open air, Glashian Road, 4.15 in the afternoon, very shocking. But before I get to that... The previous day, you'll remember that I opened the program with this. <gasps> oh, Jesus Christ. That was what happened down at Mahan. Now, that had a follow-up yesterday down at Cork District Court. Our senior news reporter, Fiona Corcoran, with me. We go to that one first, Fee. What was the follow-up to Mahan in the courts yesterday? Good morning. That's right. Good morning, PJ. As I said to you yesterday, nine people had been arrested in connection with this incident. And um, Gardaí, after they had gone to Mahan to Ravensdale Close, they had carried out a number of searches at houses and vehicles and had recovered weapons and arrested nine people. Now, two of those people were in court yesterday, Cork District Court, uh, a mother and a daughter, Julia and Julianne McDonough. And they were both charged with possession of a knife at Jacobs Island, which is near Mahan, um, on Sunday evening. And the Garda Rose Jennings told the court that when she charged both the mother and daughter, that neither of them made any reply to the charge. And they appeared in court yesterday. There was no objection to them being remanded on bail or released on bail. Um, but uh, Sergeant Pat Lyons told the court that they were looking for a number of conditions to be attached to those bails um, and they included that they reside at in Shearer Close in Mahan, that they abide by a curfew from 10pm to 8am every day that they sign on three times a week at Anglesey Street Garda Station that they stay away from all intoxicants and that they do not cross the uh, north channel of the River Lee except for medical or legal appointments. And the case then was adjourned for four weeks. Mm. So they've been released on bail and that, will appear that again. That was in an interesting condition, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Now, they didn't specify as to why they had that bail condition attached. But as we said yesterday, there are strong suspicions, and it's part of the Garda investigation, that this incident in Mahan arose as a result of an ongoing feud between two families, one from the south side and one from the north side. So you would imagine, even though it wasn't said in court, that that's what that okay. bail condition is in relation to. Now this morning we've heard from Gardaí that five people um, are due in court this morning in connection with this same incident, four men and one woman, and they have all been charged. It doesn't say what they've been charged with, but they've been charged in connection with this investigation, and they they're due to appear before Cork District Court this morning. Okay. And um, as I said yesterday, one woman and a male teenager who were also part of that nine who were arrested have been released without charge. Now let's move to, to Magazine Road. Quarter past four yesterday, a bizarre incident. Men very hmm. seriously injured. What do we know? That's right, PJ. This incident happened on the junction of Magazine Road and Dorgan Road at, as you say, quarter past four yesterday in the middle of the day um, and in the middle of the road as well. It's a busy road, a busy junction. And these two men uh, were seen in this video that you mentioned um, having a, 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 a fight, um, essentially, and one of them was stabbed. Now, um, he was taken to Cork University Hospital yesterday with serious but uh, not life-threatening injuries. Um, I, I believe that he was stabbed in the leg, that he had suffered a serious leg injury and lost 
a lot of blood, but his injuries are not life-threatening. Now, Gardaí did go to a house on the Glasheen Road and carried out a search of that house, and a man in his 30s was arrested and a knife was recovered, and that knife has been sent for analysis to see if it was the knife that was used in this incident. Um, the man that was arrested, he was taken to the Bridewell Garda station for questioning, and as I understand this morning, he's still there. He's still being questioned by Gardaí this morning. And um, Gardaí, they cordoned off the area yesterday and they have been carrying out door-to-door inquiries and speaking mm. to any eyewitnesses in relation to this incident. And um, if anybody does have any information or if they witnessed it, that they can contact Gardaí. Um, the, the Bridewell Gardaí are, are carrying out the uh, investigation. So if they want to contact Bridewell or any Garda station. Or indeed, they can um, call now, the, the, the Garda's 1800 number, 666 Yeah. That's right, yeah. And I, I don't think that this incident is in any way connected to the feud that we've been talking to over the last few days as well. Um, I think Gardy have said that they're satisfied that it's nothing to do with that. OK, Fiona, leave it there. And thank you, as always, uh, Fiona Corkin, our senior news reporter. And as I said before, I brought Fiona on. With regard to that incident yesterday in Magazine Road, I was inundated last night with photographs, with names with messages, with apparent explanations, saying, PJ, this is what you need to use, you need to tell people, you need this, you need to that. I can do nothing with that, that information. Nothing. Because there's a Garda investigation ongoing, and if anything was to come out of this and end up in court, then this programme is not going to play any part in possibly affecting the outcome of a criminal investigation, which is what you do believe it or and no, we're in a, in, a, in a world where people love to name and shame and get it out there kind of thing. Be very careful what you put on social media about stuff like this because you could actually be going, going against the legal process and damaging the legal process. Just be careful, all right? And if you have any information, give it to the guards. Don't be giving it to Facebook. 1-800-666-111. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. I'm bringing you your favourite tunes to keep you company across the afternoon in Cork. Always best for competitions and giveaways. Oh, Simon, you are the sweetest. Yeah, flattery will get you everywhere. Simon, you're late. And sure, we'll bring you up for the chats as well. Little COVID baby boom. <laughs> so the people of Cork, they've been keeping busy, have they? Oh, they are. They're having great fun. <laughs> it's the only soundtrack you need in the afternoon in Cork. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. On Cork's 96 FM. There's a story that broke in the newspaper a couple of weeks ago. The Business Post, I think. I can't remember the name of the journalist who, who broke the story. But he started a conversation that kind of we've known was there to be had for a while. But because of the nature of the story, it's it's become the billboard story, if you like. This was a story where an investment fund had come into County Meath, was it? Yeah. And had bought up pretty much all of a new housing estate. This was a fund 
that bought these houses off the plans, off the drawings, before a brick was laid. And the result was that when young people who badly needed these houses and had been saving their money and hoarding their pennies and their euros to try to get their hands on a house, should the houses were no longer there. And the... the, It was a a vulture fund or a cuckoo fund or investment fund, all different words come in. A vulture fund is when it buys stuff off the banks. Then a cuckoo fund is when people buy into these places off the plans before they've ever been on the market. So they bought all the houses... Then they rent the houses to people at vastly, vastly inflated prices. And then after they've been in that for a few years, they then sell the houses at vastly inflated prices. They use make colossal profits out of it. And guess what? Because of the way the stuff works, they don't pay a cent in tax. Nice work if you can get it. But what it's doing is it is pushing the price of a house out of the reach of the average couple trying to buy or the average single person trying to buy or the average family trying to buy. It's very, very, very hard. And as I mentioned in the introduction there this morning, I can remember buying my first house. Our first house cost us, are you ready for this? £39,000. That was the cost of my first house. And I'm not talking about the 1850s. £39,000 was what my first cost house cost me in the 90s. That's, even with the euro conversion, and we're going into the euro, even converting that to euros, that wouldn't even cover the deposit that some people need now. It's crackers. Now, we'll be talking to all of this, or about all of this, with Ona Bryn from Sinn Féin a little later. I'd also like to hear your stories of trying to get a step on the ladder, or your thoughts on how we might tackle it at 1850-715-996. But, you know, as we all try to get our businesses back up and running, it's great to see new businesses starting, new, unusual, and maybe a little bit different Businesses starting. Talk to one of them next. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. It finally happened. The salons are back open, and we can travel intercounty. So whether you're cutting loose or getting a haircut, I'm with you every evening with the biggest tunes, Cork news, and showbiz chat. And I love to hear from you too. So go on, pop by and say, Hey, Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. I'll talk to you weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. The big drive home. Let's go business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, a nice novel business reopening and we said we'd uh, catch up with them. Um, Gerald Mahoney from GK Design Whiskey Barrels. I've seen a lot of furniture around the place done from whiskey barrels and bits of barrels and all that, but they're gorgeous. You've a whole business doing this. Good morning. Hi, how are you? 
What's all this about? Where, when did you get the idea? Where did you start with this? Well, we, we started because what we wanted to do was basically do something for ourselves. And like, like a lot of businesses starting off, they, we were trying to figure out first what we do. And then when we, we were deciding on something to do with timber, and we came across this idea of whiskey barrels because they're thrown away. They're, mm. You see them in, in various places with the straps falling down and all this type of thing. So we said there was an, an opening there for furniture, for something unusual, mm. for, for something new, something that you know people could be proud of to have in their homes. Are their businesses, mm. and with the the, the COVID situation, they, there was a lot of home bears popped up, <laughs> you know. So the, we, we've we've had a lot of luck with the, the home bear industry, mm. but the the original idea was to focus on the hospitality industry, yeah, and events and things like that, which were completely wiped out by COVID. So we had to kind of rejig and, and, re- and re-figure out what we were going to do. Yeah. And then luckily, as I say, they, the home bears kicked in and found that because people weren't going anywhere, the gardens were more important. Yeah. So yeah, we've all seen the idea. outside of a pub. We've all seen the barrel with the, just the tabletop screwed onto it, and it becomes an outdoor table. But you've done an awful lot more creative things. You're making seats and everything out of these things. We have seats. We have dog beds. We have wheel. What we call the wheelbarrow, which is basically a wheelbarrow made out of a half a barrel. And the, the, no, it's a flower planter in in effect. Yeah. But different designs, thing. You know, I mean, it's only limited by imagination. Excellent, excellent. And, and you know, people come to us with their own ideas. We can, if if people want something that they have an idea for themselves, we can do that too. Great. GK Designs Cork dot com is the website. Just wanted to catch up with it. Your best to look. Uh, with it and to anybody with either a new business or a business getting back open again this week good luck to you 1850 now straight away we're getting messages about the situation with regard to houses this is from Erin who can't take a call because she's at work but she said I'm listening in here we're currently house hunting we viewed houses outpriced on most of them we viewed one last week asking price 275 we're told an offer is currently gone in on 337. We honestly have no hope. We didn't even get to view some houses as they went to cash buyers. Prices are going up. And I think Charlie from the Irish Independent was on with me a couple of weeks ago about this. Prices are going up at the same kind of rate that they went up in 2007 and 2008. And that is scary because we all know what happened then. But in between all of this, you've got international funds coming in and buying up rakes of houses off the plans before a brick is laid. Now, the developers love it because it puts money in their bank to build the houses. Money that they wouldn't have to negotiate with the banks to get. It puts a nice little chunk of change in any developer's bank account so they can go and build their houses and sell them on for profit. 
But of course, it drives the price of houses up for young people trying to get into the market. And is it legal? Yes. Is it right? Uh, clearly and obviously not. Is it something we can stop? We don't know whether we can or not. We really don't know whether we can or not because of the fact it's useful to the developers who are trying to build houses. Owner Bryn is Sinn Féin's uh, housing spokesman, joins me by phone. Owen, good morning to you. Good morning to you, PJ. Uh, I, I guess that has to be taken into account in that a developer who wants to, bi- to, to build three or 400 houses wants cash in the bank. And if the investor is prepared to buy 100 houses, 200 houses, and put the cash in the bank before there's a brick laid, then that's a win-win for the developer. So they're not going to want to stop this. Well, BJ, first of all, there are two different kinds of investors. There's the investor that's partners with a builder and an architect. They buy land, they get planning permission, and they build homes to rent or buy. No problem with that. We want as much of that all day long. The particular category of investor that is at the center of, of the storm uh, last week is a group of people who don't invest in the building of homes. They wait until somebody else has done that, and then they swoop in and they buy up blocks of homes. And the problem is is that uh, not only is it not right, uh, it is the direct result of government policy that has given these uh, uh, funds enormous tax advantages. They pay no tax on the rent roll, they pay no capital gains tax when they sell, they pay low stamp duty. Uh, uh, and therefore, they are able to outbid everybody else. In fact, there was a story in the Business Post uh, on the Sunday just gone saying that these funds, funds that come in after the fact and buy up the homes after they're built, can outbid other buyers by as much as €80,000. So your key question is, can it be stopped? And the answer is yes, uh, and it needs to be stopped as quickly as possible. Uh, and how you do it is two, two ways. First of all, you end these outrageous tax advantages that this category of investors have. These tax advantages were introduced explicitly for this purpose. They've been part of government policy, both for commercial and residential development uh, under Fine Gael, mm-hmm. and unfortunately supported by Fianna Fáil. And those tax advantages need to go. And then the second thing is we need to reform our planning system because, look, we need more rental properties. Nobody disputes that. And we need more affordable properties for owner-occupiers, first-time buyers and other people looking to put a roof over their heads. So we need to reform the planning system so that it is very clear when planning permissions are granted, whether this is a rental scheme, whether it's a a for-purchase scheme or a mixture, depending on what is needed. Uh, That needs to be both emergency uh, legislation to cover the stuff that's been built at the minute, but also a permanent change so that we can properly plan our cities. Like I'm, I'm just looking at Cork City here, right? Mm. And, and the rise in house prices, rental prices, has been frightening in the last year. House prices have gone up over 11% in mm-hmm. the city. At rent over 4.5%. Well, so if you look at that message that I just read out there, yeah, Owen, yeah, I've, I've asked listeners to come, come and give me their experiences, but there's someone yeah. going bidding on a house at 275,000. 337 before they even go to the next uh, stage. Uh, uh, Absolutely, and, and, and the average sales price of a home uh, at the moment in Cork City is over €300,000. And, of course, new-built properties would be more expensive again. And the big worry, of course, is while these institutional investors have been primarily focused on Dublin and the commuter belt, we know from their investment analyses that they publish that they're now eyeing up Cork City, Galway City, Waterford, Sligo, etc. So, of course, if you throw them into the mix, house prices will continue to accelerate. Well, what I would say, PJ, and, and you and I have spoken about this before, What Cork City urgently needs is government to step in and heavily invest in the direct delivery of really good quality affordable homes for working people to rent or buy. The Economic and Social Research Institute on Sunday called for something that in fact I and Sinn Féin have been calling for for years, which is a doubling of capital investment by government in public housing. That's not just social housing, 
It's mm. also affordable homes for people to buy and affordable homes like, for, for the, people the to buy. The term work. affordable house is, is bandied about, Owen. And last week we had that astonishing figure for Cork. Yeah, that affordable for, now, now, straight away those who, who will defend that figure will tell you, well, that's a cap. That's as much as it can cost. But And here's, here's the problem, PJ. We know from things like rent pressure zones, caps very quickly become targets. And think about it this way, right? Because the maximum extra uh, uh, borrowing you can make under Darrell O'Brien's crazy pro-developer shared equity scheme is 90000 So if today I can buy a house in Cork for the average price of a, of, of, of a property of 310000 right? Tomorrow, after this scheme is introduced, the developer knows I can borrow another 90000 and they're going to try and sell me the same house for 400000 So this will become targets that developers move towards. Now, Darrell O'Brien so dismisses that. He says that's just not going to happen because the system is designed for that not to happen. He... And, and, and how, can, how can he stop that? Because I have to bring to the table a maximum 3.5 times gross uh, income uh, mortgage as approved by the central bank. So if my deposit and my loan take me to 310,000, but if the developer knows I can borrow another 90, the developer is going to try and sell to me for 400,000. That's what's going to happen here. And Darrell O'Brien is dismissing not just the views of the opposition, he's dismissing the concerns of the Central Bank, the Economic and Social Research Institute, and a host of yeah. economists. It is important to point out, like, this, is, this isn't just... Uh, a, a government versus opposition argument here. I, I'm reading many newspaper articles of experts in the housing market at many, many levels saying this is the wrong thing to be doing. Can, can I say this, PJ? I, I read the Sunday papers, uh, as I always do, and every single paper, every single one, from the Sunday Independent to the Business Post uh, uh, to the others, had commentary by their business editors or by economists or housing experts all saying this scheme was a very dangerous one. But let, let's get back to affordability, because people know there's an affordability crisis. They don't need you or I to remind them. What they want to know is how we're going to fix it. Yes. And for example, an affordable house in Cork City should be €200,000 um, uh, for a standard two or three bed. Rents in Cork, an affordable rent in Cork, should be below €800, Euros and preferably seven to 600 And how you deliver that is significant increases in government investment. It is virtually free for government to borrow to invest in capital infrastructure at the moment. And through our local authorities, approved housing bodies, community housing trusts, cooperatives, we build large volumes of really good quality homes, apartments, duplexes, houses, mm. and then we sell them. Do, and we do, do we go back to what houses. happened, um, you know, Owen, do we go back to what happened in the 50s and 60s where we were broke, the nation was banjaxed, broke, but, you know, back in the day, Leaders like Sean Lamas built tens of thousands, whole swathes of Cork City were, were public council housing. Ballyfihan, Toker, all those places were all public council housing. Tens of thousands of them around the country. Is that what we go back to? Well, first of all, not only did governments do that, but they also provided grants and long-term low-interest finance for people in urban and rural Ireland to build and buy their own homes as well. So actually the overall level of, of investment in housing in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, right up to the early 80s, was very, very substantial. I think what we need to do is we need to take the best of what happened before and we need to update and modernise it. So, for example, you know, what we need is we need really good quality uh, residential developments that have some social housing in them, some have affordable rental housing in them, have affordable purchase housing, as well as good quality uh, amenities, green space, close to public transport, particularly in our city centres. There's swathes of land, and you know better than I do, in Cork City, for example, that's lying idle, that's lying vacant, that should be used not only to revitalise the city and the commercial trade there, but also to give people affordable homes close to where they work, close to where they go to school and where they socialise. 
But the only people who can lead that investment is central government through our local authorities. And therefore, you know, government is only going to spend about 1.2, 1.3 billion in public housing provision this year. It needs to be about 2.8, 2.9 billion. But where That's would that money come you, from, Owen? Ab- absolutely. And, and More borrowing? There, ha- there has never been a better time to borrow uh, uh, at almost zero percent interest rates. Yeah, but our, look at the size of our national debt already. I mean, it's it, our national it is, debt is but, colossal. But but here's the important thing: because of COVID nineteen, a lot of commercial and private sector construction activity is going isn't going to happen uh, as quickly as it was otherwise going to happen. That means there's construction sector workers whose immediate employment future is in jeopardy. If the state steps in. Not only do we build people affordable homes, which means they have more disposable income in their pockets to spend in the local economy, so you get an economic boost from that, but we keep those construction workers on construction sites, the architects, the quantity surveyors, uh, the mm. administrative staff, and they generate more tax revenue. And the very yeah, but we're adding ESRI, to we're adding to an already colossal national debt. The, the, the very fact that the ESRI, one of the most cautious economic think tanks mm. in the state, are arguing for exactly that policy shows. It is the right economic policy now. What was the big mistake we made after the crash in 2007 and 2008? We cut, or not we, but Fianna Fáil, uh, Fine Gael and Labour, cut capital investment in critical infrastructure. That meant not only were we not able to build when it was cheaper to do so, but huge numbers of people lost their jobs, emigrated and went social welfare. We need to learn the mistake of not doing that uh, again. Now is the time to borrow cheaply, invest in critical infrastructure. Mm. Housing is one of the key ones. Obviously, green energy and public transport are the others. But it makes economic sense. And in fact, the European Union are even urging this through the European Investment Bank and other such vehicles. When I talked to employers pre-COVID, they were saying the biggest challenge they had was increasing wage claims by workers faced with ever-increasing costs of renting and buying. That is going to accelerate because of COVID. So now is the time to deliver really good quality, affordable homes to rent or buy for working people. It's cheaper for government to do it. We have the workers who desperately need to be kept in employment. Uh, and everybody, uh, bar Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, unfortunately, mm. are arguing the same thing. So why do you think, why do you think, Owen, and this is a political point, I'm trying to be apolitical here, just listen to alternative points of view. Why do you think that if they're being told, not just by Sinn Féin, but by the ESRI, by by people like Lark and Sir uh, in, in the Dublin TUD, another, another expert, why is it if so many people, like there's an old saying, like if 10 people tell you you're dead, lie down. Why are the government ignoring all of these experts and driving ahead with this? So I think Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael in particular have been wedded to this idea that the private sector is better at delivering housing to meet social and affordable supply. They've been uh, leading this policy charge for 30 years. Over the last five, six, seven years, everybody else has moved to the position that, in fact, it's increased interventions we need at this point, as well as better regulation of the private rental sector and private investment sector. So the, the last people to join the consensus are Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I, I think what's interesting is they're now beginning to talk the language of a different policy direction, but they haven't implemented it yet. And the proof of the pudding is in the money. If in the budget they announce a doubling of capital investment in public homes to meet social and affordable housing needs, then I think we've finally uh, uh, broken the back of this problem. And while we're not going to fix it overnight, over a number of years, things will change. But they are so wedded to this idea that big private investment funds, big private developers uh, do this better, contrary to the reality of an ever-growing number of people. I suppose they'd argue we can't borrow any more money. We're borrowed to the the wazoo. 
So I, I suppose the crucial thing is, is borrowing for current expenditure is always risky. Uh, uh, we're borrowing a lot for COVID-19, current expenditure, the PUP, etc. But that's temporary. Borrowing for investment in critical infrastructure is not the same because you get an economic dividend, you generate jobs, you generate disposable income, you give a boost to your local economy. And therefore, and the European Union is saying this, uh, as well as the ESRI and others, now is the time for governments right across Europe to borrow at virtually free interest rates and invest in the critical infrastructure that we need, public transport, green energy, uh, and good quality affordable homes. Because if we don't do that now, when we get to the other side of COVID, we're going to have an even bigger housing crisis, but we're also going to have a broader economic crisis because, of course, we mm. won't be keeping people in jobs, paying tax and spending money in their local economy. And in a city and county like Cork, direct government investment in large volumes of good quality, affordable homes uh, uh, for people to rent and buy will have such a multiplier effect on your local economy mm. because mm. you'll be employing local workers, you'll be spending money in the local economy, employing uh, materials from local suppliers, local quarries, etc., you know, it just makes such eminent sense. What we cannot have is the vulture funds that are currently driving up house prices in Dublin uh, uh, setting their sights on Cork City and the commuter belt and doing to, to your good county and, and, and the good people of Cork City and County what they're currently doing in my constituency in West Dublin or in the likes of Kildare and Mead. We need to shut down that negative, expensive investment and get the right kind of investment, both public and private, into delivering the affordable homes that working people both need and rightly deserve. Okay. Oh, and leave it there. Thank you very much for being with us on the opinion and in Cork 96 FM. That is uh, Owner Win, uh, Sinn Fein uh, spokesman on housing. I hate that logic, though, of all that public affordable housing. My entire generation are shut out of it. We earn too much money to be considered for it, but not enough to get a mortgage. Well, therein would lie the thing that you could actually get it. The problem with where we are now is young people are trying to get into the market, and it's damn near impossible for them impossible for them to get into the market. I was watching Claire Bourne last night. I, I generally don't watch Claire Bourne on a Monday night because by that time on a Monday night I've just had enough of news and current affairs for one day. Plus, I look at some of the stuff I see on Claire Bourne's Monday night show and I go, why is this on a late night current affairs show? But last night she had a great series of interviews with young people and their parents trying to get into the market. And it's just damn near impossible. It's damn near to impossible. 1850-715-996. Kate says, we need a builder to build small bungalows to allow people to downsize and then the bigger houses be available for families. A house went up for rent during the day for 1650 per month. It was snapped up by midnight. That's, and that's a ridiculous amount of money. 1650 per month like that. Their, their mortgages are not that high. Some of them. Uh, Patrick, the councillors should give people a site put the services on this site, you then have the ability to build the house on it. It got you out of the deposit rent trap, but you hit an asset, and the banks took account of it. You're on the ladder straight away. Councils should bring people into the trades. People might move on to other jobs, and that's grand, but when property is tight, there'll be loads of people ready to go into building. Lastly, the central government should release land and start off a trades training programme. Not on the basis that everyone who trains becomes a plaster or whatever, it never worked like that here, but it's handy to have a trade for other jobs too. You have a pool of labour to call upon. 1850-715-996. And there's a statistic from the Independent that I have in front of me now that uh, cuckoo funds are spending 53 million a year, a week, a week, to buy these new 
housing estate. And remember, they don't pay any tax when they sell on. None. I mean, people give out about Amazon and Apple and all those other companies. But these are, these are investors buying up houses and making a handy wedge at the end of it all. And not paying a cent and being let to it. Particularly interested in hearing your experience or your children's experience of trying to get into this ridiculous housing market. It's it's almost impossible for them and they're saving and they're not going inside the door. The, the blessing of the pandemic for them, if they have their jobs and manage to keep their jobs, is they've been, been able to put a couple of bob aside, which is grand. So they've been able to put a few shillings aside over the last 14 months, which is great. But now when they go back out to try and spend those few shillings, the prices of the houses have gone up again. So the couple of bob that they have saved isn't enough. So back to the drawing board for another while, in which time the house will have gone up again and again and again and again. And what happens when you blow up a bubble? It bursts. And we all know what happened in 2007 and 2008. Kevin says... Forget the argument about borrowing. Keep at it. What if we don't? What is the consequences if we don't borrow? Uh, Yeah. Thing is, if you borrow, it has to go back. It has to be paid back. That's just economics. But then the ESRI and other such pieces. This isn't just a political argument. This is economics and building and experts. And every expert out there is now saying this is the wrong way to go about things. And there's a saying, I don't know where I heard it first, but I thought it was very appropriate. If ten people tell you you're dead, lie down. I like it. 1857-1599. Come here, something totally different. This Saturday on uh, 96fm.ie and, of course, on the app, you can join Trevor Welsh once again for the excitement of the Premier League, all powered by TalkSport. Exclusive live coverage of Burnley versus Leeds at 12.30. Southampton v Fulham at 3. Brighton against West Ham at Eight. It's the Premier League Live online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Listen Saturdays on the Corks 96FM app or of course go to 96fm.ie. 1857-15996. Is your weather app misleading you? There's a very good reason why it might be. Next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Now, pretty much everybody with a phone has a weather app on it. And you look at your weather app and you wonder, can I rely on it? And then you discover, that's not that accurate at all. And you wonder why. Now, I've been using the same weather app for a couple of years. Um, It's only available these days, I think, on iOS. I don't think you can get it on Android anymore. It's called Dark Sky. It costs 3 or 4.99. I find it very, very accurate, which is why I keep telling people about it. But in general, why are these apps not as reliable as we would like? Let's go to UCC, to Cahill Nolan, a climate researcher, and, of course, is involved in the Irish Weather Channel. Cahill, good morning to you. 
very good morning, PJ. I suppose the apps are based on the models that they use. And is that the problem? It's partly the problem. One of the reasons why we see the weather apps, I suppose, coming across as being that little bit more inaccurate, certainly less accurate than we would like on some occasions, is really down to the fact that the ones that come, let's say, preloaded into mobile phones, they're typically coming from companies that are established in the United States. So the weather forecast and the models that they use aren't as honed in or aren't as kind of, I suppose, locally based, let's say as some of the available apps that you can download in an Irish context, obviously talking about maybe MedAirons, which is specifically tailored towards an Irish customer, let's say. How is an app put together? That sounds a, a bit daft now, but obviously it, it scans certain weather forecasting models. Is that how it is? So each one of the organisations, let's say some MedAirons, for example, they will be part of the ECMWS suite, which is the European Centre for Medium Range Weather Forecasting. They use a different model than, let's say, some of the American companies. They typically use GFS, which is an American one. The apps themselves basically use the information which is provided by those two distinct models. And then based upon your geographical location, the phone will be able to pinpoint where you are and give you a specific location for your given area. That's one of the reasons why with the American ones, it's a little bit more difficult because it's an American model, let's say, that they're using as opposed to the European forecasted model, which is a little bit more tailored toward the conditions that we experience here. So, in other words, the preloaded ones, they, they really aren't, even though they'll find you and you can see on a map where you are and the phone, oh, there's, there we are now, there's the app looking at my, at my local weather. But it's pre-programmed a different way. It'll be pre-programmed in a different way. And I suppose one of the other big reasons as to why we consider them to be so inaccurate is the fact that Irish weather itself is actually very changeable, whereas a lot of the time the conditions that have been forecasted by, let's say, an American model, the GFS, it looks maybe more at some of the large-scale weather patterns at play as opposed to the really kind of specifics that are focused in. So, for example, typically during the months of April, even though it seems to be in May of this year, we experience sunshine and heavy showers. It's virtually impossible to be able to give a 100% accurate forecast at the moment down to, let's say, the parish scale or the city scale or the town scale, whereby you can accurately predict the exact moment that a shower is going to hit. It's just not that finite, I suppose, in terms of the details of presence. And regardless of whether that's an American app or a European app or an Irish app, mm. you're just not able to get that granularity, I suppose, at the moment. Yeah. Actually, on the basis of that question, is this, and I, I'm trying to look back over previous sort of May time, as in around the 10th or 11th of May, is this weather we're having at the moment unusual for early May? Or am I wrong in thinking we really don't see a change until the second half? Generally speaking, I suppose, when we look at the month of May, if we were to look at it from a climatological perspective, in the Irish context, May is typically one of the driest, sunniest months that we experience. We always have, the, I suppose, the idea in our heads that as we get towards the end of the month, as we start approaching what we'll term as leave insert weather, let's say, uh, we typically see an uptick in conditions as well. So certainly we would be hopeful that as we go on through the end of this month, we might see a pickup in conditions. But certainly at present, it is a little bit more unusual that we're having, I suppose, such very mixed conditions mm. as it's supposed to start Is it off. unusually cold, Carl? It has been colder than average as of late. So certainly we've seen, I suppose, the predominance of our winds or our wind direction certainly has been coming from a northerly to a northwesterly direction. 
at times it was switching around to a northeasterly direction. So when we see winds coming from a northerly component at this particular time of the year, even though it is getting on towards the end of spring towards early summer, we still can't see particularly cold conditions here at this time of the year. I suppose even during the week where I'm based here at the moment, if you were scraping ice, I suppose, off the windows of the cars, it got down to minus two, minus three degrees Celsius in some parts of the Midlands. So it is particularly cold for the time of year and certainly over the next while, the temperatures really don't look like responding all that well. Yeah, I'm looking into it and I, I, I always tell my listeners about this one. This is my my go-to weather app, as it were, uh, Dark Sky. And it's telling me that from today for the next five or six days, grotty would be the best way to describe it. Nothing to write home about. Are your models giving you the same? They're pretty much giving us the same. So really, I suppose, looking ahead for this afternoon, right up to, I suppose, including into the, the middle of next week, we expect to see low pressure pretty close by. Now, while it won't be all doom and gloom, it certainly won't be rain all the time, there will be heavy showers about basically on all of those days. And temperature-wise, we're probably looking at coming in somewhere between the low to mid-teens at best for this time of the year. We would be hopeful, I suppose, towards the middle of May, that typically temperatures will be up around maybe 16, 17, 18 degrees if we were a little bit lucky. But at present, it's really between about 13 to 15 degrees. Yeah. So a little bit cooler and pretty showery conditions for the next 7 yeah. to 10 days. I'm, I'm looking at a slight climb in temperature towards next weekend, but, but then an awful lot of precipitation around the same time. Carl, have you a particular app that you would recommend to people? Good question. I suppose the, the one that you would obviously recommend initially would be the MetAirn app. It's the National Forecasting Agency generally provides pretty accurate overall view of conditions that we can see. Another one maybe that I would look at on some occasions is Norwegian companies, so they're called YR.no. They do very good forecasts online. I'm not sure if they have an app. I think they might have one, but they're quite accurate when it comes to giving us specific local forecasts, even on an hourly basis. So between MetAirn and between YR.no, they would be the two that I'd go to. YR.no. All right, Carl, thank you very much. Uh, Carl Nolan, uh, climate researcher at UCC and uh, part of the Irish Weather Channel. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Coming up, remember over the weekend when he was getting his own vaccine in City Hall? The teacher was asked about vaccinating young people so that they could get on with their lives in the way that young people inevitably will and there's less danger of them spreading the virus and becoming super spreaders and causing another wave and all that. And the T-shirt's answer was, well, look, we're going to get to them very quickly. We're going to get to them in the next few weeks and months. And that there's no need right now to specifically target young people for vaccination. I'll be talking to a man later this hour that disagrees with that theory and who thinks that actually we kind of should probably be getting more vaccines into the young people and working the two together. As in, we're working from older cohorts down. His argument is maybe we should also be going from younger cohorts up so we eventually meet in the middle and we get more people vaccinated also uh, talk more about those antigen tests not necessarily the ones you could buy in Lidl but antigen tests how useful they actually might be some of your comments coming in as well on housing and my conversation with Owen O'Brien of Sinn Féin who generally believes as do many other people and not just 
in the political sphere, outside of the political sphere, many experts now say, look, just keep borrowing money. It's practically free to borrow money at the moment for stuff like houses. Practically free for the government to to borrow shed loads of money and build houses for people. It's practically free to borrow that money rather than taking money from outsiders who will always want a slice back, a big slice and a bigger slice and a bigger slice and you get no return of it. If you borrow money, admittedly you attract more debt. But you build houses and you help people to get housed and to spend their money on living, not on a place to live in. I would appreciate more thoughts on that at 083 396 96 96. But another thing that's going to start happening in our houses, excuse me, in the next few years is we're going to find that our heating bills and our energy bills are going to go up uh, because of this green agenda. And look, we all know the planet needs to be saved. We all know that if we don't cop on to what we're doing, the planet will be goosed for our grandchildren or our children. So we have to start behaving differently. But, for example, after about 2025 or six, you won't now be able to put a gas boiler in a new house. You won't be allowed to buy a new gas boiler and put it into a new house. You won't be allowed to put gas heating into a house after 2025, 26. They'll want you to be having heat pumps and all that kind of different way of heating your house. Um, And people always come to hydrogen. The simplest of chemicals, hydrogen, is it number one? It is number one on the periodic table of the elements. The most basic of chemicals in massive supply all around us is hydrogen. Could we not do more with that in terms of energy? Is there a future in using hydrogen for our energy and using hydrogen to warm our houses and using hydrogen to light our houses? Could we use hydrogen to drive our cars? This wonderful, naturally occurring substance that is all around us, could we use it? Now, other than it's... um, it's, it's tendency to explode when misused there are problems but there are also possible solutions and a new company called Hydrogen Ireland is looking at this in great detail. I'm joined by Paul McCormick who's a director with them Paul, good morning to you Morning PJ, how are you? Good, good to take it, to have you on the show Hydrogen is in a very exciting chemical, it's like it's there there's no shortage of it, it's not going anywhere, we should be able to tap into it and use it Peter, you mentioned earlier on in your introduction there about the, the planet being goosed for our children or our grandchildren. It's probably already goosed and we need to do something drastic about it. I watched a programme a number of months ago and it talked about the, the prehistoric hunter-gatherers and how the world has moved on. And But in energy, we haven't. We're still hunting, gathering and exploiting resources that can no longer be replenished. Whereas we have hydrogen on our doorstep it takes a step change to actually revert to it or to change our modules to it. But it's viable, it's commercially feasible, and it's environmentally safe. Now, I read a very good piece in Bloomberg recently ab- about the, the whole move towards hydrogen and energy. Like, it is naturally occurring all around us, no shortage. But 
the problem is storing it. The problem is, first of all, it, it doesn't occur in its natural state around us. It likes to explode, as the article says. It has to be kept under very low pressure or very very low temperatures and very high pressure. So it's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy, but if anything was easy, everybody would be at it. If you look at the, the fossil fuels we're using, less than 100 years ago, if you talk to your father and your grandfather about the advent of cars and the roads in Ireland, look how quickly we adapted to that, because we had to. But it's the ubiquitous need of fossil fuels. It, it meets a lot, of, a lot of our solutions, a lot of our problems, whereas the replacements aren't going to do that. So hydrogen will be part of the energy equation in our new mix. You mentioned there about no gas boilers post-26 or about 30. There will be heaters, but they'll be running lower carbon and lower CO2 footprints. So that uh, gas coming through the pipes, you have a network there that spans all of the island, can take that mix of natural gas and biomethane and hydrogen on the route to net zero. Don't forget, by 2050, Europe, the European targets are net zero, and Ireland has to play their part in that. But we have a key advantage, whereas we have natural resources abundant onshore and offshore, as part of the hydrogen supply chain, which would leave Ireland in a primary position to be one of the hydrogen exporters in Europe, where we are a net importer of fossil fuels. So could I use hydrogen to heat my house? You could use hydrogen at the minute to heat your house. They can inject this trials and tests going on all over Europe to inject up to 20% of hydrogen into the heating mix. Whereas in Ireland, we could use more because we have a state-of-the-art pipe network that spans the island that would take and transport the hydrogen for other uses other than heating and be able to use that. So hydrogen has a lot of different needs, as I said, in our hybrid solution moving forward. It meets the heavy-duty transport and the buses, whereas the battery electric vehicles will meet the shorter trials. So it's getting that new new energy picture for Ireland yeah. is going to be important moving forward. Yeah, like people would be afraid of a massive bill, say, after 2025, 26, if they want to change their boiler or... or if you like, you know, upgrade their, their heating system. So so how could hydrogen make that easier? The uh, the injection of up to 20%, you can still use the, st- the same pipes, the same heating system and the same burners in your boiler. If it goes to a higher grade or a higher percentage of hydrogen, you need to change the, change the burners in the boilers and in your heating and cooking systems. So they're not massive changes, they're not massive retrofit. But it, what it does do, as we... T- PJ to what we call net zero. We leave no standard assets and no standard communities. That's important for the government to take that into recognition, that we don't go down a route which gives advantage to some and disadvantage to others. Mm. But if we go down the route properly and take on board what we call transition fuels, biomethane from anaerobic digestion, and use all of those different lower CO2 fuels that we can use, we make sure there are no stranded assets and no stranded communities and we bring everybody with us on this new journey to net zero. Now, I take it from your accent, uh, you're, you're a northerner and it's quite advanced in Northern Ireland. There's a lot of study and a lot of work going on. It's advanced on all of the island because there's some fantastic academics who are leading the way on a lot of the projects we're working on in Gencom and Hazel. We have Dr Rory Monaghan in NUIG, Dr James Carton in Dublin City University and there's Dr. Monaghan and that down in Cork. There are a lot of good academics and good industry all over Ireland. Just because the North is further advanced, looking at, already looking at their hydrogen strategy and how that plays a part in their energy transition and their new energy transition model, it's a roadmap that other countries can use and other countries can follow because we're following what other countries are currently doing. So at the minute, 
will maybe a bit late in adapting to a hydrogen strategy, but it's never too late to miss out the opportunity. If we leave it too long, we're going to miss the opportunity for Ireland. So what is already happening, Paul, in other countries? What is already happening in other parts of the world of which we should take note? If you look at the number of countries across Europe that have already developed and are delivering their hydrogen strategies, the, the Energy Climate Conference two weeks ago, you had the Australian Prime Minister announcing $20 billion of investment, which will trigger $80 billion of private investment into this new hydrogen economy. You, you talked earlier on about the investment in the housing reduction. It's investment in energy is the growth system and will provide returns, not just returns for the investor, but returns for the economy returns for the country and returns for the environment. So with that mix of return, before Christmas there were hydrogen bus trials, Catano bus trials run by DCU and under Hydrogen Mobility Ireland in Dublin. The Road Transport Authority in the south are trialling three new hydrogen buses from Wright Bus. Those trials should be starting soon. There are trials ongoing in the north. There are 40 new hydrogen buses being developed and they've been bought by the Road Transport in the north. So there's a lot of traction, a lot of industry moving forward. Mm. The first electrolyzer in the island of Ireland is being installed currently in Long Mountain Wind Farm in Ballymena. And don't forget, it's an all-island energy network. Yes, and that's important. It's a great opportunity for cross-border cooperation and for us all to work together as a 32-county country to our to our advantage. And I think we should probably, you know, remember too that when you use hydrogen correctly and safely and properly, the only byproduct is water. It's the same as using any fuel. It all must be used properly, safely, and in its proper environment yeah. and reduce the negative impact. If you look at the, the tailpipe of a diesel bus or a diesel truck, look at the, the knocks and the particulates and the emissions. Stand behind a hydrogen bus or a hydrogen vehicle and all you see is water dripping out the back. Mm. There, are no, there are no exhaust gas emissions. That's the biggest. You're talking about using the fuels properly. That's the biggest contribution is to the environment. Now, we know that we can use wind to create energy. We know that we can use solar power, light power, to create electricity for our homes. We can use wind to generate electricity offshore and all that and bring it on. Can we use hydrogen in the production of electricity? Because we're always going to need electricity. In the company we mentioned earlier, PJ, we are running three trials. is wind to hydrogen, biofuel to hydrogen, and solar to hydrogen. Wind to hydrogen is in Ireland. The solar to hydrogen is in Germany and the biofuel to hydrogen is in Stornoway in Scotland. Explain what there wind to hydrogen means though, what's that? Sorry? What does wind to hydrogen mean as in... Wind to hydrogen is taking your... Oops, are you there Paul? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, try that one again, wind to hydrogen. So we know that wind can be used to turn a turbine and generate electricity and all of that. But what, what would you do with wind to hydrogen? Instead of putting electricity into the grid, put the electricity through an electrolyzer to separate the water into hydrogen and oxygen components. So you don't need, the other, the other big advantage of this hydrogen project work is you don't need a grid connection for your wind, wind turbines or your wind farms. You can then go straight to hydrogen and use hydrogen as a fuel, either for direct, for transport, for heating or whatever, or as a buffer fuel for balancing the grid when renewables are, are intermittent. So you can meet all of your renewable demands with hydrogen as the buffer. About how far are we away, Paul, from the first sort of hydrogen-powered heating system or hydrogen-powered bus or truck or car being commercially on our roads? 
as I said, before Christmas, you had your Catano bus trials. The uh, single-decker bus was running trials in Dublin and powered by hydrogen. You have three more buses coming now online. And the next five years, you'd have your bus trials complete and your hydrogen stations all in place. We're working with another group in Ireland called Hydrogen Mobility Ireland are looking to, to promote that mobility, primarily through buses and public transport first and then filtering down to the, the passenger vehicles. And it's going to be that different mixed media of everybody working together. No standardness has been left behind and making sure we all move forward. One thing about CO2 and emissions, it doesn't need a passport for Brexit or whatever. It affects all parts of Europe and especially Ireland as a whole. Briefly to finish, um, these are all great ideas. And hydrogen, like you said, it's so plentiful. It's so easy to to get it because there's no shortage of it anywhere and it's not it's not a carbon fuel it's not a fossil fuel it's there we just need to use it and use it properly and use it safely the, the, the fear that people would have to come back to basics though Paul the fear that people would have is that it will blow up and how are we adapting the technology to make sure that it doesn't PJ there's always a fear when any new change takes place or new innovation takes place if you look at the, the history books, when, when Ireland was electrified, people were afraid to put electricity into the houses. When fossil fuels and petrol and that were first used, there were a number of different stipulations, recommendations and plans that people followed. There's a lot of work being done worldwide in this. As hydrogen becomes more and more mainstream, there's rules, regulations and safety measures everybody must follow. It's no different to any other passenger fuel or any other fuel that we use. Exactly the same for natural gas, for petrol, for diesel and for everything else. If it's safely operated, safely transported, safely used, it has no problems. And it's just making sure all of those bookends and all of those the regulations are in place as we move down this route. And finally, uh, when we can no longer put in a gas boiler to a new house or may not even be able to change our old gas boiler for a new gas boiler, how quickly do you envisage me changing instead to a hydrogen supply to heat my water and my radiators? Your hydrogen supply, you notice no difference. If you're the user in the house, the consumer, as long as they turn the switch and the, the gas cooker works or the heating system works, they don't need to know what the molecules are in the gas pipe. It could be 20%, 30% hydrogen, 5% biomethane, and the rest is natural gas. Don't forget, we still have a shelf life in this natural gas coming ashore yes. in own, and we need to replace that. Now is the time to look for that. Now is the time to plan for this succession strategy and make sure we integrate that into a new energy strategy. So again, coming back, I know I'm, I'm jumping around things here because I'm learning as I'm speaking with you, which is the purpose of an interview like this. So in terms of, say, the, the wind turbines or the solar, so we would use wind turbines, instead of making them making electricity directly, we would use the wind to separate the hydrogen and then put the hydrogen from water, say, and then put hydrogen into the system to supply our homes. Correct. And the big thing about being able to use the wind, the, the, the need, the, sorry, the fact that we can produce hydrogen and we don't need a grid connection, it opens up all of the marginal wind farms onshore and especially offshore where we don't need to reinforce the grid just to get renewables connected in. So not only does it answer the intermittence of renewables, it also allows us to get greater integration of renewables into our system and get to a zero carbon energy system within Ireland. I think this may be the first of many conversations we'll have about this over the, the years to come. Paul, thank you very much for being with us today on the Opinion Line of Cork's 96. And Paul McCormick, remember the name, Paul McCormick, Hydrogen Ireland. It could be heating your home, it could be 
running the bus that you get to work. And they could actually, if I'm listening to him correctly, and I think I am, instead of bringing the natural gas ashore from Kinsale or wherever they bring it ashore from, we literally make hydrogen out of water. Like you make it out of water. You use technology to make hydrogen out of water. You pump the hydrogen into the gas grid. You heat your home from the hydrogen. And all the byproduct is is water. It's it's very exciting. It's the future. It's where we're headed. 1850-715-996. Up next, vaccinating young people. The Taoiseach at the weekend was asked about it. That, you know, given the fact that young people with the bit of increased freedom that we now have and the fact that they've been locked up and deprived for months on end, they are going to get overexcited and go out and party. And no matter how much we ask them to hold on to it, hold on to it, they're going to go out and party. It's just how it is. And if the weather gets better and the summer gets warmer, they're going to go out and party. Should we now be looking at vaccinating the young people from the ground up, as it were, rather than waiting for the current age system to get down to them and see where people who are 52 or 53 can now register today for their public vaccine? Should we start on people who are 21 and 22 and 23 and work up at the same time? Taoiseach was asked about that at the weekend when he went for his own vaccine in City Hall. The objective from a clinical point of view and from a public health perspective is to vaccinate those who are most at risk of getting severe illness or indeed death from the virus. Hence, we started uh, in nursing homes, we started in frontline healthcare staff because they were dealing with patients on the front line, and then we went through the age cohorts and the older age cohorts. That has worked in terms of reducing vulnerabilities much earlier on the journey of this virus. I do get the point you're making, as I said, but I think we're going to, you know, we're going to progress very quickly now uh, in May and June. This is, you know, within a seven-week period here, this will be transformed and younger people will be coming on stream to get vaccinated. Uh, and we're on target to do that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Courts 96 FM. So, as of today, I think uh, it's 52 year olds and below can access the portal to book their vaccine at the public centre, and then 51, and then 50, and then down to 40s and whatever. We know how that's going to work. And a lot of people, to be fair, are being called in by their GPs a little ahead of it because the spare vaccine's there. So if your GP was vaccinating over 60s last week and he had maybe 40 or 50 doses left, you might have got a call to say, listen, do you want to come in because I have spare vaccines. What am I going to do? Send back kind of thing. So it's all kind of moving together and the, the numbers are looking better every day. But could we be going faster? Could we be vaccinating young people now to let them let them get on with their lives, uh, which would benefit all of us? Professor Liam Fanning, Professor of Immunovirology at UCC. Liam, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Is this something we should explore, even though the Taoiseach has said the age, the age plan is working? Um, yes, we should explore. If you step back a bit and look at the, where the guidance with regard to this age-related vaccine program uh, is, is largely guided by the number of deaths per age category. And once when you dip below 45 or 40 years uh, of age, the death rate is 
0.3 to 0.5 percent within a margin of error, so they're almost equivalent. Um, and above that, it rises to 1.75, and then the next 55, 64, 4.5. So really, the under 40s could be treated as a group. And once when we have the over 40s vaccinated, then I think the, the portal should be open up to anybody who wants to get this vaccine. Bear in mind that, you know, we have a momentum at the moment. There's a very large positive disposition in the population to receiving this vaccine. Mm. We don't want to end up in a situation like America, where there's, where some of the states are actually telling the, the organisers of the vaccine programme over there to cut back, cut way back. Uh, on the number of vaccines that they're delivering. You know, we can't have wastage of any vaccines whatsoever. And if opening up the portal to under 40s, when they have over the 40s registered and done, then I think that would be a very large dividend for the population at large, bearing in mind that the median age of infections floating in or around about 28 to 32, 33 years of age. That mm. means a lot of individuals under 30 are, are, are infected. And I, I was pointing that number out because uh, I do occasionally go through the numbers on the programme here, Liam, usually on a Friday. And, and I was digging in a little bit last week and noticing that point that we might have 400 and something infections a day, but when you, when you dig down into it, most of those are young people and the median age is, is 29. For people who wouldn't understand. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And the term, when they say median age is 28 or 29, what do they mean? What that means, really, it's the middle age. It's not the average. It's the middle age. So if you have, we'll say, uh, two, two, six, and ten, there are three numbers. The, the, the middle is six. So it's, it's actually the midpoint at which there's 50% above and 50% below that number. And is that so, more accurate than an average? Um, well, if if the okay, if they're equally distributed over the population, the average and the median or the middle value are the same. Right. Uh, so you know they can be one and the same, but they're not always. But the but, middle gives you a good indication that fifty percent of the infections from that point are less than that. So you know in other words, that's a good indicator that the majority of people, the vast majority of people being infected at the moment, are the younger cohort who will shake. We hope for the most part, shake this virus off as if it was no more than just a bad cold. So why vaccinate them? Why be in a hurry? Well, you see, 
if you if you remove a cohort of infected individuals in the population, they can't spread it to other people. Now, okay, we're not in the same situation we were last May or last September or last January, thankfully, and there are more people vaccinated, so their chances of of of, of getting uh, COVID nineteen are much reduced because they've been vaccinated. So, where will this infection pass on to? It'll pass on to their other infected peers, um, and I suppose each infection prevented, prevents a cohort of individuals, we'll say developing maybe long COVID, mm. um, maybe they might be just that odd individual who's going to have an unfortunate consequence yes. of picking up COVID-19. So it protects both the known vulnerable, the unknown vulnerable, and the healthy individual. That's why I think we should move on. And also, we want to drive Ireland to a place where we can maybe drop the mask, you know, get closer than one metre, you know, and, and go back to shaking hands and hugging people, you know. And, and the less of it infection that is in Ireland, the closer and the more rapid we get to doing that. And the other thing too, of course, PJ, is we can't countenance the waste of even one vaccine. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really mind if that means if there's four spare doses in the GP practice and there's four, they can't get in touch with anyone and there's four people passing, they call them in and they say, Would you, have you got your PPSN number? Would you want a vaccine? Yeah, it, it has to be as easy as that. What are they going to do since you send batches of them of them back and, and waste the batches? We're doing reasonably well, I would say, on the numbers. I'm just looking at the app here now, which says that there's been 1.3 million, or yeah, 1.3 million first doses and half a million second doses. We need to move faster. They tell us we will over the next couple of weeks. Are we moving fast enough? Well, if you look at it, have 80% of the Irish or 82%, as they say, the Irish population or the adult population vaccinated by the end of June, we need to be nearly doing nearly 400,000 per week in order to. There's about six weeks between now and the end of June. Um, and in order to give out, so that's if you, if you uh, roughly get 400,000 per week, that's 2.5, 2.4 million doses. That's just that's a, that's going to be short of eighty percent or eighty two percent of the adult population, and we're not even at four hundred thousand per week at the moment. We got close to it. If, well, we got close to one day. I think there's over fifty thousand there over the weekend, and we need to keep doing that seven days a week. Maybe expand the time frame within which you can get vaccination: six a.m. to ten p.m. Bring in the pharmacists. Bring in anybody. Um, who is competent at either participating in the vaccination programme. And that could be as simple as maybe getting medical students to talk to individuals about the risks um, associated with getting the vaccine, reassuring those that are vaccinated that this is a very valuable tool in protecting them and their loved ones yeah. to get COVID-19. Because we do have an amount of, and I think I'm right in saying the research tells us it's among younger people and younger women in particular there is a lot of vaccine hesitancy. That's worrying. That is worrying. And uh, I would hope, though, that more, we'll say, coherent single messaging from the powers that be will, will, will address some of that hesitancy. The last thing, and, and, and what we should have is a free phone number for individuals who are concerned about, we'll say, some of the side effects that they could ring up and, you know, uh, discuss that with somebody on the other end of the phone. If they ring up their GP, you know, they may get advice, but there also might be a charge for that advice because it could be considered a consultation. So, 
um, you know, I think a free helpline for individuals who are concerned will go a long way to kind of assuaging some of those mm. individuals who might be just a little bit dodgy nervous because it is an, an, an injection. Well, well, if you look at it as well, Liam, and we know that no medical treatment of any kind is devoid of risk. That That's just a fact. But if you look at it, so, so many of the younger cohort get their information increasingly from social media and there's an awful lot of absolute rubbish on social media. Dangerous rubbish. How do we train the people to filter the rubbish from what's actually true? Oh God, if you had the answer to that question, if we're COVID, you'd have it to a lot of things. Uh, you? you know, I, you would. Um, I, look, I think programmes such as yours, you know, they reach a particular cohort, you know, and the, the podcast, you know, you distribute them out amongst your networks and you get that information to people with, uh, we'll say, a telephone number or a web link. They're not going to ring a telephone number. They're going to want it on a web page or they're going to want it on a Snapchat or something. So, you know, I know the government was kind of, you know, with the what is it, they spent 200000 there on kind of uh, designing some kind of uh, peer-to-peer uh, influencer um, communications to do with COVID-19. Okay, that might seem a lot of money, but if that gets people who are otherwise nervous or uncertain or just don't know enough about why they should get these vaccines and get the information to them, I would consider that money well spent. Look, I know it's like from a uh, maybe a PR perspective, it doesn't sound too good, 200,000 spent on, on influencers telling other people about why, why they should be vaccinated. But mm. that's the public health, that's delivery of a public health message. Mind you, there's a few, a few influ- influencers out there doing the exact opposite, <laughs> but we move on from that. Liam, you're very... Um, supportive of the idea of using antigen testing. Now, it's a big deal in the UK. We see they're gone on sale in, in Lidl, but we had Professor Nolan from Neffet last week effectively rubbishing the idea. Where do you stand on antigen testing? OK, um, first of all, I, I, I think uh, Professor Nolan's comments were unfortunate. Um, and, um, you, know, he, you know, he's obviously a very bright man, but perhaps, you know, the, the, these, these tests are designed to pick up infectious individuals. Comparing these antigen tests to PCR is not an equivalent comparison. Sure. So antigen tests. So if I'm infected with COVID-19 and I have a very high viral load or a large amount of the virus, I'm quite likely to spread it to individuals who are not vaccinated, right? Um, and so therefore, these antigen tests will pick that up. What they won't pick up um, is if I have a very small amount of virus. And if I have a very small amount of virus, I am unlikely to pass that on. So the, the, the place that these have in our battle against COVID-19 and driving these down is finding out those individuals who are most likely to spread it. And, you know, the, the, the little ones I saw, I looked up some of the data, 98.3% chance of picking up a positive. It was a genuinely infectious positive. That's what that puts in, in raw data terms means that 17 out of a thousand cases will be missed. If you right. take it that, you know, and of those that are genuinely uh, have no virus, in other words, they will be non-reactive to these antigen tests. That was at 100%. Right. So you have, this, you have this regal room in the middle where you have some virus. It would be PCR positive, but you're not as infectious as if you have a large amount of virus. And that's the beauty of these. They can be done at home yes. um, for a fiver. And I, I don't accept um, Dr. Houlihan's asser, uh, assertion that, you know, that it will give people um, uh, kind of a false indication that they can kind of, you know, throw caution to the wind. The Irish people have not shown caution to the wind. I think out of respect for what they've learned, what they know about COVID, how they've adapted, to the restrictions 
I think some cognizance has to be given to the capacity mm. and ability to, you know, understand risk for the Irish population. We've learned so much over the last year. We have need autonomy over our, our own health decisions and risk assessments. This is part of it. So you know, break, break it down for me, uh, Liam. If I go out to, to Lidl or anywhere else and I buy myself a packet of uh, these tests, in what context would I use it and how would I respond to its result? Okay, that's an, that's an excellent question, PJ. Okay, so um, you, you, you buy your test, you go home and, uh, okay, so there are going to be clear instructions as to how to use it. I, I suggest people read them once or twice and I almost have a dummy run with a, you know, uh, a practice run as to kind of how they might do it. Open the kit, familiarise themselves with the contents of it uh, and then place it up the nose as far as it is instructed. And if it's a little bit uncomfortable, just go with it. Follow the instructions and then you'll get, or what, you'll get either two things. There'll be a, a single line on it which will indicate that the, the test uh, within, the, uh, within the parameters that it's meant to work has worked. That's not going to tell you the results. That's just the single line. The second line then will tell you, it's a bit like a pregnancy test. If it's reactive, then that means then you should contact uh, public health or co- go to one of these um, uh, free test services and, and put, put yourself forward for getting a test. You remove yourself from society and you just restrict your movements until you get that PCR test result. So you're, so it's a bit like the pregnancy test, even though you might do it at home on your own. You still get the doctor to verify it. Until you go to see to the doctor to verify right. it. You know, so that's, so that's... Now, Liam, I, I have to say, that's the a good explanation, an excellent explanation. So I would do my little home test and I would wait my 15 or, or 20 minutes. If it right. comes up as negative, then I'm good to go. But the line, the second line, as it were, doesn't say I have COVID. It says I need to get a PCR test. You, could, you, you couldn't, yes. Absolutely. What it says is you have some proteins in your swab that have reacted to this antigen test and then if you're almost like the flash line on the bottom it should be now contact uh, your nearest either GP or go and get yourself tested <laughs> you know that could be almost if this was like a menu bar on the end of the TV screen it would be now contact your GP or now get now now put yourself forward for testing and remove yourself from either the workplace or at home start your kind of restricted movements and the important thing is they'll pick up on me, on me even if I haven't a symptom in the world and that is the beauty of these antigen tests. You know, we can do them in the privacy of our own home. Nobody need know we're doing them or judge or judge us accordingly. Just in case some people feel a little bit kind of, well, we call it, you know, COVID shame or kind of, you know, a little bit embarrassed at picking up COVID. Um, forget all that. Nobody goes out deliberately to get COVID-19. If you have it, just deal with, the, with what's in front of you. Restrict yourself, get yourself tested by PCR. Because if you're positive on an antigen test, it probably means you're infectious, which means you can pass it on to others. I see. And therein lies the rub, as it were. And therein lies the rub. Professor Fanning, thank you very much. Professor Liam Fanning, a professor of immunovirology at UCC, 1850-715-996. Well, I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot in that 10 minutes about how useful these tests are. So you're not 100% sure. You might be invited to go somewhere when we can get out and about again. You might be invited to go somewhere. Well, take your test. If it's clear, go. If it isn't, ring up and say, lads, have just taken a lateral flow there. Things aren't so great. I may need to go for a PCR. Or you can just use it to protect the rest of us from you. It's great. I think they're great. They're great. Let's, let's, let's get out there. Thousands of them.
1850-715-996. And we shouldn't have to go to Lidl for them. We absolutely should not have to go to Lidl or Tesco or Supervalue or Boots or anyone. They should be, like they are in the UK, free from the local GP. 1850-715-996. Dr. Monica on TikTok says yes to younger people getting vaccinated. Most of them are for the vaccine and ready to go. Let's face it, they'll go out and about and mix with multiple people their age anyway. They then pose a risk to their families when they go back home. They mightn't get as sick as older people, but they will transmit it. So yes, let's get those young people vaccinated. But Bernie says, is PJ joking? (laughs) Young people are the most selfish cohort. They're not locked up. I'm sick of listening to that. The sooner they get vaccinated, the better. I do agree the vaccine rollout could meet somewhere in the middle when the 50s come down, drop down to the 20s and go through to the 40s. The young people don't have respect. I see them after school hanging around. When I was in school, I went straight home. You have to be held accountable. Uh, Yeah, they haven't been locked up, Bernie, but they've missed out an awful lot. And and they haven't learned. If you're in your 20s, your early 20s, you're getting very impatient at the moment. Very, very impatient. And you have been for a long time. And, you know, when you're 33, you've learned a lot more about being patient than when you were 23. And they're impatient. And maybe vaccinating them would, would help. 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Landmark Productions presents the world premiere of Deirdre Kinahan's blistering new play, The Saviour. Louise Lowe directs Marie Mullen and Brian Gleeson in three performances, which will be broadcast live from the Everyman Auditorium as part of the Cork Midsummer Festival. Access all areas. Cork Midsummer Festival also sees the launch of Cork Dance Initiative with their debut event in it for the long run. It features bite-sized dance events both in person and virtual to celebrate and connect through dance in Cork. For further details, check out corkmidsummer.com. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Coming up after 11, uh, women and booze and the minimum pricing that the government is going to bring in. But women in particular, if you've been drinking a bit more during lockdown, women, and the research is now there and the science is now there, women who drink to excess put themselves at more risk faster than men who drink to excess. And the experts are now telling us that they're seeing it happening in the hospitals. So that's coming up after 11. And I also want to know what you think about the minimum pricing. Michael Gearin was one with me here the last time, and he explained it quite well. Like, if you take vodka, then your bottle of, I don't know, a top brand like Absolute or Grey Goose... Minimum pricing of vodka or alcohol won't affect the price of your bottle of Absolute by much, by much at all. But it will affect the bottle of Roger Tonsilski, which is next to it on the shelf that you can get for about 12 quid. 
it'll affect that price a lot. It won't affect the price of the quality product. But where, how do you feel about minimum pricing? Um, do you think it's going to work? One of the people I've been speaking to after 11 uh, feels that it's necessary to bring it in to stop people getting at excessive amounts of free drink. Or, sorry, cheap, cheap drink. 1850-715-996. Now, we're all going around still wearing masks. Hopefully, by the end of the year, we'll be rid of the damn things because I said it this time last year and I'm saying it again. I hate them. I absolutely hate them. Will I... Am I used to wearing them? No. Do I like wearing them? No. Have I been good, more comfortable? No. I bloody hate them. And one of the reasons I hate them is because you can't see people's facial expressions. You can't see people smiling. We don't smile. Um, and <laughs> here's a great idea for having a, just an online get-together so we can just smile. Adrian Adams, good morning. Good morning. How are you? You have me smiling. <laughs> Good. I can't see you, but I'm glad that you are. I know. I but know. there's the thing. Do you know the way yeah. you go to the shop and you get a, a loaf of bread and, and a pint of milk and the paper, and, yeah. and you have a, 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 a quick chat with the with the counter assistant, uh, you know, and you, you'd like to leave that person with a smile, and you smile, and you go, well, I can't even need you to my smiling in behind me mask. I know. You can't know. see each other's facial no. expressions. No, it's a huge disconnect, isn't it? It's like, you know, we're so used to... I mean, I, I know I said this before. My, my late mother was a fantastic character. She was, I, I originally come from Galarity and everyone knew her for her smile. Yeah. Delia Adams. She had a fantastic smile. She made people smile. She made people happy. And this idea that uh, came up with the Clannacity Commi- uh, Committee for Wellness came from one of our, one of our committee members who... Geneve O'Neill, she works for the West Cork Partnership. She, I asked her, where did you come up with the idea? And she said, I woke up one morning, Adrian, and I said, I, why don't we do a Zoom? You know, a smile anyway, you know, and I said, that's how it came up. She said, yeah, it's just, just an idea that came in her head. And it's a fantastic idea that we all Zoom in on the 17th of this month at 8 o'clock in the morning and again at 8 o'clock in the evening and we all go online and smile. Just smile at people. Just smile. You don't have to say anything. Just smile. Yeah. And I think it, it's very contagious, and I think it will. I think it will have a. I think it will. It, people will zoom in because I think it's and look at people and they'll smile. And it's a fantastic idea. You mentioned your mum and yes, people yeah. with an engaging smile. They, yes. they can literally light up a dark room. Oh, and, we're, and we're not seeing that now. No, we're seeing very little of it. And you, you know. Um, my husband goes up to Bandon Co-op every Saturday. It's the only time he gets to meet people. Imagine mm. Bandon Co-op, where he can actually talk, because you can't talk in done stores, he said, but you can talk to people. And, like, we're talking through a mask. Mm. And we can't see our faces. Yeah. And it's awful. Yeah. But it's, please God, we're coming to the end of it. With, with a bit of luck by the end of the year, we won't have to worry about it. But when, when is this on, and how could people get it? Well, we're at the Clonic Hinty Wellness page, if you go into Facebook... Yeah, and you'll see the link, Smile Anyway, and uh, it's the 17th of uh, this month, mm. and it's 8 o'clock in the morning and 8 o'clock in the evening, and there's a Zoom link that you just zoom in and just come online, and we'll wait for you, because you know people have problems linking in and between internet and the whole lot. Yes. And actually, that's nice too, because people will come in a bit later, so it'll keep the smiles going. Yeah, and that's, it's one of these Zoom links that does all the Absolutely. heavy lifting for you. Absolutely, and we're really looking forward to it, and yeah. a very simple it's next idea. next Monday. Next Monday, yeah. Okay. 
All right, well, good luck with it. Listen, thanks a million. Thanks for giving us time. Pleasure. That's Adrian Adams. Smile a while. Uh, the Clonakilty wellness people, they have a website, Zoom meeting, just to smile at one another. Like we used to, in the shop. 1850-715-996. John says, I and others don't agree that children should be vaccinated. Their immune systems should be left to build up naturally against the virus. Why would you make a decision to vaccinate children? Adults can make their own choice. I won't be getting the vaccine, but I have nothing against anyone who does. Why in God's name would you make a decision for a child to get vaccinated? I believe you should bring on a counter-opinion on the subject. John, I never mentioned children. I never mentioned children. At the moment, we're not, mac- not, not vaccinating children. We may do down the line, because the vaccine may be tested for children. But when I never mentioned vaccinating children. I said young people. Never mentioned vaccinating children, John. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, up nine days now. Nine days only to the start of the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. If you want to find out more, go to our website, 96fm.ie. All the information is there about how you can become a change collector, how you can have a no uniform day, anything else you want to do for Radiothon 2021, which kicks off here on the morning of the 20th of May. We've had to change things. Last year, we weren't able to do it at all, you'll remember, because of COVID. This year, we still have to work within the COVID restrictions, but we're going to have a Radiothon, and it's going to be mega, and it's going to be great have it back. That's nine days from now. The Cork's 96 of M Giving for Living Radiothon. On the housing, we spoke earlier on this morning with uh, Ono Bryn from Sinn Féin about how he would tackle housing or how he feels the government is failing to tackle the housing problem. And he was making the point that it's not just politics here. Pretty much every expert in housing and investment and property is now screaming at the government you're going to have to do something about this and it's like that lovely saying if 10 people tell you you're dead lie down the government Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael whatever about the Greens are still kind of clung to this idea of housing as a commodity for profit instead of being something that we invest in for our public for our citizens and when you think about it it was Sean Lamasse when we were bust and broke and banjaxed in a way we've never been bust and broke and banjaxed before or since. Sean Lamas drove on and built, or his government built, swathes, vast swathes of houses. Ballyfehan, Toker, loads of parts of the north side, all built as public housing projects. Back many, many years ago when we hadn't an arse to our trousers. And the idea is, well, let's just borrow. Jesus, it's practically free to borrow. Borrow! To mind the debt. To mind the national debt. We'll deal with that. But borrow and build lots and lots and lots of houses. Build more so that the prices go down. And Eugene was making the point on Twitter, putting two scenarios up. He says a person can buy at 200,000 or rent at 900 euro a month. Or 
they need to keep saving so they can buy a house that costs 400 so they've no disposable income or they can rent that house worth 400,000 for two grand, two and a half grand a month. Isn't it better for the state to borrow to achieve the first option? Because the benefits are, and he goes through them, the benefits are, well, if the renter sees their rent go from 2,000 down to, or 2,500 down to 900 per month, well, that's money back in their pocket. No cost to the employer. It's just money back in their pocket. And then they go out and they spend that money in society and they create money circulation in society and then the taxes that they pay when they're out there buying stuff and enjoying their money rather than plumbing it all into a house well that goes back and helps the service the debt it's it's there it's all there uh, it's an idea many people bang on that drum for years I like it Eugene well explained thank you 1850 the Health Research Board published a report recently uh, on the alcohol situation in Ireland. Uh, it's got a big long title, but effectively it's the Alcohol Consumption, Alcohol-Related Harm and Alcohol Policy in Ireland 2021 report. 170-odd pages. It makes for it makes for somewhat sobering huh, reading. Um, for example, for the average... Consumption of alcohol in Ireland in 2019 for people over the age of 15. The average person drank 10.8 litres of pure alcohol. That's 40 bottles of vodka, 113 bottles of wine or 436 pints of beer for everyone over 15 in the country. Now take out the fact that one in four of us don't drink. So the rest of us are left sharing that which brings it to 53 bottles of gin or vodka, 149 bottles of wine, or 574 pints each. That's a lot of drinking. That's an awful lot of drinking. And there's a huge number of people suffering as a result, according to this report. Things like alcoholic liver disease. Also, they discovered that in people aged 17 years or younger... More than half the people now problem drinking are women. And digging down into it, when women drink to excess, they would appear to do more damage to themselves than men drinking to excess. That's not being sexist. That's not being anything like that. It's just a biological, scientific fact. I've been speaking with Dr. Orla Crosby, who is a liver specialist at CUH. It's, it's in the context of the idea of government bringing in minimum pricing. The, the recent report is disturbing on a number of levels, but you say excessive drinking seems to have a worse effect on, on women. And why is that in simple terms? 
Um, well, uh, PJ, thank you for having me first and for uh, bringing this issue to the attention of your listeners. Um, the HRB report uh, emphasises um, the increase in liver disease over the last 20 years due to alcohol in both males and females, and in fact it has increased by 260% uh, mm. overall, which is a huge increase in any disease. Um, now, uh, both men and women are at risk of getting uh, cirrhosis, or what we call end-stage liver disease, the worst form of liver disease from alcohol if they drink too much. The reason that women are a little bit more susceptible than men is because we tend to be smaller and also we've more body fat. So we get higher levels of alcohol if we drink the same amount. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if men and women drink the same amount, it's more likely that a female will run into trouble uh, than a male and also that it may happen sooner. Is that just the way the body chemistry works or the way their bodies are made up? It is, exactly. And I suppose, PJ, as well, the other worrying trend is, um, uh, no, the HRB report is full of statistics, and I don't want to spend our discussion quoting statistics, but the very young females seem to be drinking as much as males, and you would worry about down the line if they're more likely to run into trouble, and and will we be seeing more females with liver disease? Um, I mean, I'm quite ancient now, and I've been working in liver disease for over 20 years, and I have without reading the HRV report it, it uh, demonstrates exactly what I'm seeing mm. I mean when I started working 25 years ago uh, alcoholic liver disease was a disease of middle aged men you know mm. in their 50s 60s but now we're seeing people at all ages PJ even in their 20s and their 30s mm. wow. uh, males and females mm. we're, we're, we're in a position now where we can kind of look back on our, our drinking habits during the pandemic yes and any expert you talk to will tell you that it's been worrying. In your own view, doctor, what is the most worrying element of the way we've been drinking over the past 14 months? Yes, I, I suppose everything is worrying about the pandemic, PJ, and there isn't a person amongst us who isn't anxious or hasn't found it difficult, you know. Um, I suppose it's the access to alcohol for people to drink at home. And I was very interested in the HRB comments because it really echoed what I have been hearing from patients. Some patients are drinking less because the pubs aren't open. And the HRB say about 17% of people are drinking less, but 22% say they're drinking more. And certainly patients have admitted to me that they've slipped into a pattern of drinking more at home. And it's due to a combination of actually some people, the stress of working from home. They're so busy that they're drinking as well. Other people, the stress of losing jobs or else, you know, a combination of boredom and habit. Drinking more in terms of quantity or drinking more frequently, as in not just going to the pub at the weekend now, but having a drink every night. That's the thing, you see, and when you're at home, you can drink every night. And I suppose with there's so many things we can't do during lockdown. And in fairness, the Irish public have been fantastic at keeping to, you know, the um, COVID uh, recommendations. But uh, shops and off-licenses where alcohol is so freely available have remained open. So there has been no difficulty accessing alcohol, you know. Um, and I think a lot of things we do, most things we do, are out of habit eventually, mm. you know. Um, and I don't think anyone sets out, you know, to, to drink too much or to harm themselves, um, but it just becomes a habit. Yeah. Have people been drinking more? And I'm addressing my, my thoughts again uh, with regard to women here. Have, have women 
in the home, trying to homeschool children, trying to keep the place going while everyone is stressed out to the nines. Have they been drinking more in the evening to maybe self-medicate a bit against that stress? Apparently, PJ. Now, in fairness, the HRB don't break down the age groups and the sexes of the people that are drinking more. So, you know, one does have to be careful. And, I, you know, it's easy to tarnish everyone with the same brush. But I think the perception is yes. Um, and I don't think it's just females, though, drinking at home as well. I think, you know, it's, it, it is males as well. And we're seeing that in the very sickest patients coming into hospital. You know, mm. it's not just females as well. It's No, it's, it's males as well. In that recent article you wrote in The Examiner, you said uh, many people simply, and I'm paraphrasing, many people simply have no idea how much damage they do to their bodies through excessive drinking, not just the obvious to their liver. Yes, that, that's true, PJ. And, and again, the HRB reported on that. In fairness, most people they interviewed, about 90% did realise alcohol could cause liver disease. But there's an awful lot of other diseases that alcohol plays a big role in. Many cancers, for example, breast cancer, colon cancer, neurological conditions. You know, there's a myth that alcohol helps cardiovascular disease. But, you know, if you're drinking heavily, you are going to be more at risk of heart attacks and strokes as well. So there really are no uh, proven health benefits from alcohol um, and I suppose I, I did give a demonstration in that article of a very unfortunate lady yes. who had been drinking heavily, was separated from the two young children um, and unfortunately she died during her, her first hospital admission which we do see happen which is terribly sad um, and I remember her saying to me a couple of days before she died I had no idea she just had no idea that her drinking habit uh, would have such deadly consequences and she unfortunately didn't get a second chance, which, you know, many patients will get a second chance, but we do see a high mortality rate in people with end-stage alcoholic liver disease. Are you suggesting maybe, Doctor, that in women the end stage can come faster? It can do, yes, exactly. And that's why, you know, when I gave the reason initially why we are more susceptible to the effects of alcohol because they're smaller sizes and that, yes, uh, uh, by virtue of that, it can happen at an earlier age. Now, the government is moving swiftly, or, well, at the end of the year anyway, to bring in minimum pricing for alcoholic drink. Like, will this have any real effect on the problem, do you think? Yeah, um, PJ, I laugh because you said they're moving swiftly. The Public Health Alcohol Act apparently was the longest ever in Irish legislation to go from um, a bill to an act. It took over three years mm. because of an awful lot of um, opposition uh, from everyone. So some of the uh, elements have been introduced. As we've all noticed, alcohol is sep separated now in um, shops and, off and in, you know, petrol stations and that from other goods. The minimum unit pricing is a very interesting one because it basically means that you can't buy very cheap alcohol. I mean, at present, you can buy um, harmful amounts of alcohol for over six euro for a female, over eight euro for a male a week. Mm. Um, and there are many patients who will tell me that they will drink as much as they can afford. 
Um, so this is targeted at people who drink dangerous amounts of cheap alcohol. Um, it will set a euro per unit of alcohol, which PJ is still very little. I mean, the cost of alcohol has not increased in line with other goods and food. Um, with minimum unit pricing, it's part of the whole story. The other elements of the act are very important as well, education and awareness. And, mm. you know, you, you've played a, a huge role in that yourselves uh, on the radio, you know. Um, but legislation, as we've seen with, you know, road traffic deaths, uh, the smoking ban, uh, even the COVID uh, uh regulations, you know, legislation is black and white and it does work. It has been introduced in Canada and Scotland and they've already shown benefits. They've already seen a reduction in alcohol-related harm and deaths in the two countries where it is introduced. Uh, Coming back to that unfortunate case history that you referred to in your article, uh, Miriam, as you called the woman, how would minimum pricing prevent the next Miriam, as it Yeah, yeah. Well, PJ, I think it's obvious you walk into the supermarket and there's three bottles of wine for the price of two. Well, of course you'll buy the three. Um, And if it's there, will you drink it? I mean, you know, I think most of us will. And and this is the scary thing about addiction. None of us are immune. You know, there's no vaccine against um, addiction, you know. Um, So marketing is everywhere. And again, that's part of the act. You know, Um, you'd feel a fool if you didn't pick up the cheap offer, you know. And these offers, you know, where you can buy a meal um, for €20 for two and the meal consists of a bottle of wine as well as everything else, you know. Um, That's not healthy marketing. You know, and, and people, of course, will, will appeal to it, you know, who wouldn't save their money and mm. buy three bottles uh, for the price of two. And, and, and if it's in the press, it. you're going to drink it. Yes, it, yeah. it's a bigger temptation. So, you know, it's targeted at that, but also um, people that drink vast quantities of cheap cider and beer, um, PJ, like it would amaze you the volumes that people can consume. Um, and they can't even tell you the volumes. They will say, I will drink as much as I can afford. Yeah. Lastly and briefly, come back to my, my female listeners, Dr. Crosby, and, and the, the, the point that you made earlier on that, you know, you will do more harm to yourself more quickly because of the way you're made, just as a woman. And be careful. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, uh, for males and females, um, it's the same. Um, but yes, if you, you know, if you drink pint for pint with your male uh, counterpart, you're more likely to run into trouble. Dr. Crosby, thank you very much. Thank you, PJ, for having me. Good morning. Dr. Orla Crosby, who's a liver specialist at CUH. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairymaid Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Cork's 96FM. Catherine says pushing up the price for home drinking would be fine, but I think we need to reduce the price of alcohol in the pubs. It's a controlled environment. It'll get people out and get them meeting again. It also makes the option of drugs less attractive. If you want a line of Coke, it'll cost you 10 euros in most places. You won't even get two pints for that. Uh, yeah, and there's social drinking is also in our culture, Catherine is saying. The price of a pint in your local when they reopen sometime soon will be about six quid. Five, between five and six euro for most pints in your local. Bottles are just an outrageous price altogether. A bottle of beer 
in your local is going to cost you. Like the bones are six quid in most places. So outrageous. Catherine's point is if you bring the price of that down, which you could easily do with vat and excise, reduce vat and excise, then you encourage people to drink in a more controlled environment like a pub rather than buying lashings of it at cheap prices down the off-license and drinking it at home. Which is a fair point. Thank you, Catherine. 185715996. I've hemo I can never do that word. Hemochromatosis. Thanks. And it can affect men more than women. Alcohol is a big factor related to it. I have to donate blood regularly as my iron levels are dangerously high. That's a text message, 083 396 Kate says alcoholics aren't just those falling about the place. They can be really respectable people. They can, Kate, and they can be doing really respectable jobs. I knew somebody one time, no longer with us, but I knew someone who was effectively uh, a functioning alcoholic, but, but held down a full-time professional job. You'd never know. 1850-715-996. Now, Lindsay, you gave up drink for a year. Why in the first place? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Um, well, I suppose it was kind of a, a multifaceted decision on my part. Um, it was mainly a personal decision because, you know, in honesty, I have all of the willpower of a toddler being told they can't binge watch a marathon of Peppa Pig episodes in that I have none. Hmm. So there's no one more surprised than me that I was able to commit to it, I suppose. And given the current climate that we're in and the pressures that people are under and working from home and homeschooling, etc. Um, but also mainly I wanted to counteract a narrative that I was seeing um, emerge on social platforms in regards to our attitudes to uh, alcohol. And I think Dr. Crosby touched on it um, in saying about accessibility. And for me, the accessibility is not just in how we purchase it, but how we're consuming content surrounding how alcohol is marketed towards us. And I suppose in my case, especially towards women, mothers, etc. Did you find your own drinking was, was problematic before you gave up or were you concerned about your own drinking? Being honest, I wouldn't say I was, um, I had any uh, problems in my attitudes towards alcohol. But what I did notice was a change in pattern as to how I was consuming alcohol. So, um, you know, like at the weekends, you would always say, oh, you know, I'll have the wine as a treat or I had a bad day. And I think that association is very common. Um, and especially for women, you know, you're you're looking forward after the homeschooling, etc. Mm. Um, but I suppose because I was at home and for longer periods of time, um, you know, maybe around the afternoon, I was saying, oh, look, there's a glass left there. Um, I'll have that. Whereas previously, that wouldn't have happened. So it was more about, I wouldn't say my levels increased, mm. but my patterns definitely changed and I didn't like Was Was wine o'clock an earlier time than it should be? Absolutely. Hand up and I would say it. Um, you know, I, I would be counting down for my, my husband to be, you know, coming home. And I suppose my situation, I'm I'm very privileged in that I was not impacted to, you know, the level of someone who was reduced to maybe a one or zero income household during the pandemic or yeah. 
who had stresses um, of, you know, ill health, be it physical or mental. I had none of that. Yet I found myself you know, come three o'clock, I was like, oh God, yeah, you know, that'll be nice. Oh, the maths are a little bit too much there now today. Mm. And it just, and this was a narrative that I was seeing echoed and still am seeing on social platforms. Mm. Was there an attitude of kind of, look, it's it's three o'clock, it's a nice afternoon, mm-hmm. there's an old cold glass of Sauvignon Blanc at the bottom of the fridge, I'm not going anywhere, everything is closed, I'm not going to be yeah. driving, air a shag it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, not only, I suppose, were you, it was because you were at home, but we weren't leaving to do anything. So like all the activities that we normally would have had, you know, that would warrant, you know, matches and training or all of that was just put to the, you know, the side and it it was stalled. So you essentially were looking at the four walls. And I suppose the point that I made um, when I made the decision to, um, you know, commit to not consuming alcohol for the year was that I'm looking at four walls but my four walls can look very different to someone else's four walls and I did not want to perpetuate this you know narrative of you know the mummy wine and you know the alone time when the kids are you know that's my treaty in the end of the day I just did not want to use that What's so wrong with it though Lindsay at, at the end of a tough day trying to raise a couple of kids mm-hmm. who are locked up and bored out of their minds and trying to homeschool. And if it's only a glass or two in the evening sunshine out the back, where's the harm? No, and I, I thoroughly agree with that. And I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't put myself in a soapbox of being a paragon of virtue by any means. But I think it does come back for me to the accessibility. Right. So I suppose what I was seeing was um, alcohol being used as relatively props online. And if I'm normalising it, that, OK, I might be OK with having a glass at three o'clock in the afternoon and I'll only have the one glass. But if I'm saying to people who, you know, if I have a large platform of followers, oh, I'm having this or I'm, you know, I'm creating an ad around this product to, you know, lure you in to say, look, it's okay to have this, but that one glass might end with me, but you might go on to have one or two more glasses. Um, And it might become a norm because you're seeing me say that it's okay to do so. And I think that's where the responsibility Lies. I mean, we see it seasonally. Um, you know, at the minute now, you will see a lot of campaigns on socials gearing towards, uh, and it's really, it's targeting female friendships. Whereas years ago, I suppose, in selling, you know, alcohol products or products of that nature, it was more the sexualization of women used as a tool to sell it. Whereas now it's done a complete U-turn in that it's capitalizing on uh, female friendships. You know, can't wait to have the girls in the garden. I love this setup, and here's this new drink that I think you should try. So it's it's still praying, but it's it's of a different nature. And I think there needs to be more responsibility about the promotion of that. Um, you know, of of what we are consuming and the accessibility of same. Yeah, yeah. you feel, do you, Lindsay, that alcohol is now being deliberately? Marketed at women in a in Absolutely. is it is it, a, is it a, a sinister thing? Do you think? Um, I mean, I wouldn't generalise and say it's it's blanket. I mean, I don't think anyone could say that that it's being primarily marketed at women. But I mean, we've seen the increase. I mean, the stats of social media, and I would love to see actually a correlation between that and I suppose 
uh, the findings of Dr. Crosby and in, in, in with the consumption of alcohol in relation to women. Um, if you look, let's say, at, let's take Instagram as a platform, the, the figures are um, that 57% of the users are women. So there is a higher percentage of men consuming, or women consuming content than men. Um, and what you have is, um, because Facebook and Instagram, obviously, are both of the same ilk, you have a greater opportunity for cross-selling. So um, you can promote something on to massive audiences um, and have zero accountability for same. And I mean, you could use this model against anything like the wellness industry of, you know, fraudulent products there. This isn't a new narrative, mm. but I think you will see and you'll see the feminization of drinks. I mean, PJ, you've probably seen it yourself for the supermarket and there's a new pink gin launched. Yeah. Or here's this floral gin in a you know, you see that feminization of the products to make it more acceptable. Um, you know, and that it's oh it's just to get the girls around and have that. And yeah. I think it's really condescending to, to women. I mean, I I love a point of Murphy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So but it, it, it's it's yeah. just creating that that social acceptability and that it's fine to do this because, yeah. you know Actually Andrew's just commented um saying that in his own observation, and this is purely a personal observation of his, that there's a difference between the, the male and female drinking, that women would see it as more a bonding thing or even, yeah. maybe even an image thing, whereas men just see it as a, a pressure release. Yeah. I, hunter, I mean, I suppose I can use my, my own husband as an example. And I decided to make the choice to, you know, give up for the... And basically how it started, then I became pure mule about it. So I was like, if I'm in it, I'm in it and I'll do it. Um, but, you know, my husband really enjoys a beer at the end. And I see, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I suppose it's to change the narrative around that. I mean, we intrinsically as a country, our culture and our history is so linked um, you know, with alcohol and our consumption of it. So, you know, it's not to make, you know, someone feel guilty about that one glass of wine that they're having and they, you know, they have in the garden at the end of the day. It's to evolve the narrative to say, you know, there are other options that you can have if you choose to. Um, and it's more responsible attitude to it and how we promote it and how we consume it. Mm. Um, and I think any discussion around this is positive, um, you know, and discussing regardless, you know, in, even in relation to the MUP, which I think is, you know, the hot topic of the yeah, whole Yeah, do, do you think that's a good idea? Um, I think it's such a layered topic. In theory, I 100%, I think anything that will go towards some measure of counteracting the negative impact of our consumption is a good thing. Um, if you want my personal opinion, I think... I would like to see more detailed plans surrounding services like um, addiction counselling and mental health mm. put in place. Because if you, it's simple cause and effect, if you remove something, something else will take its place. And, you know, I can sit here and say it's not going to impact me, um, but what about the household that is one income or has you know, addiction within their household, they're still going to find some way to consume it. Yeah. So I think we need to be proactive in our support yeah. of implementing that measure and to the people it will affect. Because it's all very well and good for me to say in my privileged position that it won't. But that's a very naive outlook then yeah. to yeah. to not assess the, 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 you know, the fallout from it.
Will you ever take a drink again, do you think? Oh, absolutely, I'd say. Um, <laughs> Love my, the enthusiasm uh, in that yeah, reply. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, like, I mean, I, my brothers and his fiance, like many people, they postpone their wedding until next year. Um, and I'm really looking forward to... Um, I, I, like, I've, I've committed to the year. I have another few months left, yes. Um, but um, I, you know, I, I am looking forward to that point, that good point of Murphy's. But whether or not my attitude will change then, I don't know. But um, definitely it has made me more mindful around the whole topic, which, you know, I, 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 I maybe that comes with age, PJ, who is to know. But, um, you know, um, I will look forward to it. So whether or not then I might take another break from it, who knows? Yeah, yeah. I have a friend who rarely, if ever, drinks at home. Yeah. Um, and But at the same time, he's a fellow that would go quite enthusiastically for the few pints with me at the weekend. Mm-hmm. And last time I was talking to him, he says, you know what? He said, I'll be, I'll be on my four knee, on my hands and knees after three pints. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I think I'm going to need, um, like, I'll probably have one and then I'll be looking for, like, chips and garlic mayo or something <laughs> to offset. <laughs> the fallout, or you yeah. know, some some newer said I, I, you know, it's more that side of it. But um, but no, I definitely and I and I do and I, I totally agree with um, Dr. Crosby's sentiment around education. I think it really does. Mm. You know, this it begins at home, and I suppose I was raised with, you know, a responsible attitude to it. It wasn't treated as some illicit substance. Yeah. And my parents, I remember saying to myself and my brother that if we ever wanted to try alcohol that could they come to us and yeah. we could try it at home. And I think, you know, for 80s parents, that was fairly, you know, forward thinking. And so it never was a big deal. And, and being honest, during college, look, I mean, I love to beat the clock and Nancy Spain's next to, you know, as much as the next person. But, <laughs> I remember um, it only too well. Yeah, oh my God, they were, you know, oh. they were some days. But, um, you know, it never, it never felt like, you know, something illicit that I wasn't allowed to do or couldn't have because I suppose of the attitude that I had been raised with. Um, you know, and I think if there were more frank and honest discussions like you're doing today surrounding it, I do think it would go as well as some measure to, you know, um, raising a responsible attitude towards it. And I mean, you can have your night and do whatever, but, you know, in the long term that you're conscious of your the effects and, mm. and your actions and what it will mean for you. What I found particularly um, troublesome about the discussion with Dr. Crosby and the article she wrote mm-hmm. in the Examiner was that particularly the number of younger women that she is now yeah. seeing with hospital admission. Now, when mm-hmm. you were admitted to hospital as a result of drink, you have a serious problem. Yeah. And the number of younger women that she's seeing. And I would, I mean, obviously I'm quite clearly not a medical professional, but um, I would say that a lot of the damage has mainly been done without their knowledge, you know, and that by the time they are admitted, I mean, we heard that that case study that um, uh, Dr. Crosby presented, or our patient, and I mean, that is just frightening. How many more women are suffering the effects, but maybe put it down to something else, like, oh, I'm just really run down, or I'm tired, or I'm this, or I'm that. Um, and, you know, because if you are self-medicating with something, you are numbing yourself to any awareness of any possible symptoms you may have or are an issue. So, you know, that is, you know, that is quite troubling. And, you know, I, w- I would hope that 
by by more professionals like Dr. Crosby engaging and educating and speaking about it, that, you know, it wouldn't be a taboo subject. You know, I, I don't think there's any, I think we have, a, we carry a lot of shame as a country as well, mm. surrounding the, you know, the topic of, of alcohol. And I don't, I, I think the time for that is gone. You know, um, I think if anything, we should be speaking more and more about it. Um, you know, and, and hopefully that people will feel more comfortable about, you know, um, addressing any mm. issues that they have and they have support. Do, do you have kids, Indy? I do, I have yeah. two, yeah. What age are they? Uh, one is almost 12 and then the other one is 10 going on 40. Okay, so, so <laughs> your 12-year-old, when, yeah. when when they get to the age when they, they may want to, yeah. to try drinking, um, like... I would hope it could happen. My, my, my daughter is 23 and, and, mm-hmm. and, and loves a drink. And when she started to take a drink first, you know, I, I never discouraged her. I said, have a drink. Well, have a drink with yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, you know, let, let's, let, let's, let's go on this journey of discovery together mm. kind of thing. Rather than hiding it. Is that the healthy attitude, do you think? I, I really do because I think... It is, and, and not to reduce it to this, but I do think it is a case of monkey see, monkey do. And I think if you can have that attitude early on in relation to any topic with your kids, um, you know, because there will come a point where their be all and end all is their friends. You know, for the bulk of their early life, it is their family. But there will come that point where they will seek counsel and guidance and all their advice from their peers. That's natural. We all did it. You know, you didn't want to go home. You wanted to be out with friends. So if you can create that mindset, well, look, um, you know, if you do want to, you know, discuss something or, you know, um, you know, try like a drink, if you can come to me and, you know, like you did with your daughter and just it, it's taking that illicitness away from it. Mm. That it's either that it's something wrong or it's so great that all the adults keep it from you because we want to have it all somewhere. You know what I mean? So, like, my husband has this brilliant thing and, you know, he'd be a man of few words, but um, it's this note that he gave both of our kids and um, it basically says on it that if there was ever anything that was troubling them or they wanted to discuss with us, that just bring that note and that no questions asked, we will sit down and we'll have the conversation. And... I would hope that that would always be, I mean, our kids will hide stuff from us, but I would hope that if anything of that nature or something even more serious, that they would feel comfortable in coming. And I think that's creating an open dialogue. Um, And I think you did, you know, your daughter has, you know, that relationship with you that she can say, oh, well, I was able to sit down with my dad and it wasn't a big deal. And we had the drink, you know, we had a couple of drinks and we had a chat. And I think that's really a really nice, healthy relationship. Well, in in recent months, there there have been nights. Well, there was one night in particular recently when herself and myself started playing wee bowling at 4am, much much to her mother's disgust. I know there's always the mammy in the background isn't there I know there's always yelling as well I know there's always screaming get down and all this so got to Benji was, too for good sake yeah, I Lindsay. think that will go on to the end of time so. listen great great chatting with you Lindsay we covered Thanks, so much PJ. thank you Thanks very so much thank Take you care. very much Bye. that's Lindsay Woods she gave it up for a year to sort of study her own drinking and study how drink is marketed towards women but we went on to a whole different set of of topics 18 yeah the, I won't tell you about the bowling it happened earlier this year um, they were all gone to bed myself and the daughter started on a bottle of wine 
And next thing you know, we're sitting, or we're standing, playing wee bowling at 4am. And you know, it was the greatest crack ever. Absolutely. Uh, Paul says, PJ, the government will never give up VAT and the rest. And now they're getting minimum price. They're laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, the price of minerals, says Jimmy, uh, is a disgrace in pubs. I like a drink and I'm out. I've never drank in front of my children. I always felt, what if there was an emergency and I couldn't drive? Or was comatose from drink in the bed, which is a, a fair point. Where was, I, yeah, the hemochromatrosis. My, yeah, my, my husband and I had acquired a habit of drinking too much too often, like not being aware of the quantity of the units we were doing. We wrote an agreement together that we've kept to every week for the last few months. No topping up of glasses. Agreement at the beginning of the week, which nights we will drink. If there was an emergency that we'd never have drank so much we couldn't react. Measured out on the glass where 100 mils of wine is, and that's a strict unit. We know every week now that we'll never go over 11 for women or 17 for men. We are so much happier and in control and we never feel guilty. It's life-changing. There's a bit of work in it, I imagine, but sure, there we go. 1850-715-996 on the subject of rapid testing. Uh, Morning, PJ. We're here in London. We have to test my secondary school-going daughter twice a week. I test myself as well. I work with the public even though I had my first jab you can collect your pit kits at any test centre or the NHS website uh, or it's boots and it's free. It's a great idea. We also test before granny comes to see us. Love the show. Thanks for that from London where they're well advanced with this antigen testing. And Andrew says that Lidl test was very well explained there by your guest from UCC, Professor Fanning. Just goes to show we as a public don't have to hang on every word from Tony Houlihan. We're now, after 14 months of 24-7 reporting on this virus, we're able to make our own medical judgments, and by and large, we're all pretty responsible, educated adults. On the council houses, thousands of them built around Cork back in the day, Con says, Sean Lamass, it was Eamon de Valera started those council houses, Sean Lamass continued to work on them when he became Taoiseach. It was Dev who started the council houses in Grawn in 1935. All done on borrow and build money. An awful lot of it, at least done on borrowed money. Thanks, Con. 1850-715-996. Now, if I go to line four, do I have do I have Margaret or do I have your teacher? Margaret, good morning. Is that you? Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Margaret. How are you? Good. Who taught you to bake, Margaret? Um, um I kind of taught myself kind of taught yourself. And you did it all during lockdown, was it? Yeah. Okay. So, because you were off school, you go to you go to school in in um, Middleton, isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, old reader. Yeah. So, so, what was, what, how, how come you tried to, decided to try baking and just an idea? Um, no, it was kind of my hens because we had loads of eggs so um, we had to use them all. I see. So you thought, okay, here are all these eggs. Let us let me start baking. And you kind of taught yourself. And now you have a blog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Her teacher here, morning. Hi. Hi there. She's loading notes here for you. But yeah, she started on herself at home. Right. And you want to tell them what you used to make um, it, Margaret? I use... Um, my granny's recipe book. I see. Um, 
And your, um, granny, your granny was a baker, wasn't she? Um, no, my granny um, uh, used to like to bake. It was her hobby. That's right, yeah. Yes, and Margaret has her recipe book since she passed away. I see. She has a written recipe book from her grand that she's adding to. And she's okay. testing all the recipes before she puts them up on her blog. I see. So Granny wrote out all the recipes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and her baking for kids, boy kids. Yes. I looked at it this morning. Mm-hmm. I tell you, you can do an awful lot more than I can do. <laughs> I- she used um, something called Wix, and she built it all herself. Yes. Very impressed with her. She kept herself very busy during the remote schooling. Wix, yeah. Wix, Wix.com, you can make your own website on Wix, and it's a very good website. It's a really good website. Yeah. I'm very yeah. yeah. What's your favourite recipe? Um, Probably my granny's two, two, and three recipe, because it's like a plain bun mixture, and you can add anything to it to make literally anything. What's it called? Two, two, and three? <laughs> um, it's two ounces of sugar, two ounces of butter, three ounces of flour, and one egg. Yes, I see. You make How's the duck, by the way? Have you ducks? No, I have goslings. Goslings, right? <laughs> how how are they doing? Um, they're doing very good. They're getting a uh, very big. And she's going to hopefully have eggs from them as well, so there'll be even more recipes up on her blog. Yeah. I see, I see. Now, also, um, the class has been selected for the, the road to Tokyo. What's that about? So we're, there's an Olympic school challenge going on around the country uh, to uh, support Team Ireland for the Olympics, which hopefully will take place in July. <laughs> um so in the school, we are competing against each other to get virtually to Tokyo first. Oh, I see. Our class were selected to be followed for a diary on RT Learn. It's up, it's up on our school. We have a class website, which is up, it's up on that and on the RT Learn website. Okay. So they're very, very busy. They're getting very active, trying to get all the girls up and active again after being at home for three months as well. Great, and if, if, if they're eating, if they're eating um, <laughs> Margaret's cakes, then then you know they really need do need to get active. <laughs> they do. Now, thankfully, see, Margaret's mom is a dentist, so she has some very good nutrition All sorted. <laughs> Granny wrote the recipes. Mar- Margaret does the cooking, and and mom yeah. looks after the teeth. It's great. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right, okay. Listen, so we're all very proud of her here. Bridget, I must say. Ah, yeah. Best, best of luck to everyone with that project, um, the, the, the Road to Tokyo. And Margaret's baking blog is called bakingforkidsbykids.com and you'll find all her recipes there. The proc are giving out yards to me today about the idea that we would actually borrow money and build some houses. That's all right, but the proc don't seem to have an alternative, lads. Or if you have... Write it up and I'll read it. But other than borrowing money, building loads of houses for people, how are we going to get people into the housing market without breaking them as kids? Thanks, Proc. Programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Maureen Tuig. We'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.